We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Fay, hitting with a solo recap of another Nets loss tonight to the Mavericks in overtime, 125-129. We're going to jump to that and plenty more. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Also, give us a follow on Instagram at Brooklyn Buzz Pod and check out our new merch at T Public. All links can be found in the description. But jumping into this game, obviously disappointing. The Nets fall to one and four in a game in which was right in their hands. You know, they needed to make a couple more plays down the stretch or in overtime. There were opportunities. There were missed threes by Royce O'Neal, missed threes by Kevin Durant, um, bad execution defensively, you know, including also a bad foul from David Duke Jr. late in this game, giving the Mavericks two free throws and kind of just making life too easy for them. And this was a game where the Nets really competed. And the Mavericks were obviously excellent from three, but the Nets found other ways to be successful in this game. You know, be it uh, the fast break points, and that's won that area 31 to 10. Second chance point, 16 to 4 in the Nets' favor. Paints, uh, points in the paint, 54 to 40 in the Nets' favor. It was really the three point shooting that hurt them. You know, the Mavericks were 20 of 40 from three, the Nets were 12 of 35. And yes, the Mavericks were hot and hit 50% of their threes, but they generated a lot of great looks, including three great looks in overtime on pick and pop plays with Luka, where the Nets were trying to show and recover, and they just didn't do a good enough job and I found that very interesting that they went with show and recover on the pick and roll defense late in this overtime considering they were very happy switching a lot early in this game with guards and then they play a lineup with versatile forwards and they don't want to switch I think they almost outthought themselves late in this game and made it too easy for the Mavs to generate more open threes so you know some of that coming to coaching some of that coming to execution defensively that was the issue in this game. And obviously, Luka is, you know, one of the best players in the league. And he finished with 41 points, 14 of 28, 2 of 6 from 3, 11 of 13 from the free throw line, 11 rebounds, and 14 assists. It really wasn't Luka's scoring that killed the Nets. Obviously, 50% is a great number to shoot from the field, and 41 points is huge. It was the 14 assists because if I had a guess, probably 12 of those assists were three-point three-pointers for the Mavericks. And the three-point ball just really killed the Nets. And you saw or an array of different guys hit for them. You know, you had Tim Hardaway, four of eight. You had Christian Wood, two of two. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, three of five. Josh Green, three of three. Dory Finney-Smith was one of six. And uh, Maxi was three of four. And again, these were wide open looks. These were all good looks for quality three-point shooters. And that's by design for the Mavericks. But you expect 
a little better better job from the Nets in terms of rotation, anticipating how the Mavericks are going to play. You know, it's not a surprise in what we saw tonight from their style. So I think in this game, as much as you know, you're happy to see them compete, play with energy, get active in transition, get those second chance points and you know points in the paint defensively just was not good enough in this one. And that was really, you know, one of the big culprits in, in this game. And, you know, I think a very telling stat is you look at Luca was plus 20. Spencer Dinwiddie was minus 20. And Spencer obviously handled a lot of the ball handling duties when Luca was off the floor. So not having a defensive game plan for superstars has destroyed the Nets over the course of the first five games of the season. You know, Luca went off, uh, Giannis just went off, Ja went off, Desmond Bain even had a huge game, Pascal Siakam had a great game. You go back to the Pelicans game in opening night, you know, Brandon Ingram, Zion, both did their thing. It's defensively, the Nets are not doing a good enough job of making the other team superstar uncomfortable or at least making them hesitate in any way. I think maybe you see it for stretches, but not consistently through four quarters. And on that note, <laughs> ironically enough, I think this is probably one of the Nets' most consistent performances through quarters two through overtime. They were actually plus three. It was really just that first quarter in which they lost 30 to 23. But majority of the rest of the game, you know, they're keeping the quarters close. There's a lot of spurts, ups and downs, but they didn't get destroyed in any other quarter in this game. You know, they lost the third quarter in overtime by four points. That's manageable if you play well throughout the rest of the game. So I think there definitely was progress made, just the defensive execution and the mental mistakes and not necessarily having a game plan schemed up for some of the great players in this league. So on that note, another negative, I guess I would say for the Nets was offensively. We saw excellent production from Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Once again, Kyrie dropped 39, Kevin Durant dropped 37. After that, you see Royce O'Neal with 10 points, 4 of 11 from the field, 2 of 8 from 3. You do get some from David Duke Jr., 4 of 6 from the field, 0 of 1 from 3, 10 points, 5 rebounds. But a lot of his you know, buckets were just hustle points. So the lack of offensive production and the lack of offensive spacing in this game was really evident. You know, the Nets desperately need... Uh, Seth Curry and Joe Harris back, and obviously down the line, TJ Warren. That three-point number needs to go up. And the numbers don't even tell the entire story because you look at this game and you see some of the issues having non-shooters on the floor non-shooters on the floor has on the superstars. You know, we saw KD in a lineup out there with four non-shooters. You know, that is just going to be very tough for him to not generate the entire defense's attention. You know, all five guys in the opposing team are going to have eyes on KD and they don't really have to worry about anything more than cuts to the baskets because you're not you know, losing sleep if Edmund Sumner, David Duke Jr., you know, obviously Ben Simmons, Nick Claxton are taking threes, you know, at this point in time. You know, Utah Watanabe was able to knock down two threes in this game. He only attempted two threes. And that's really the problem, too, is the Nets were able to generate three-point looks. A lot of that was Kyrie with 14 himself, and a lot of those came on ball with his creation. You know, KD only launched up five in this game, was two of five, but Royce O'Neal, two of eight. And as Jack and I have talked about in previous episodes, it's going to be a huge factor for the Nets if he can knock down those three balls because teams are giving him those open looks consistently. You know, they're willing to live with those looks, and the Mavs did that, and it didn't cost them the game. As I mentioned early in the show, Two opportunities in that fourth quarter for Royce to knock down big threes. He was not able to do that. And obviously, it's it's a make or miss league. And having those missed opportunities is going to hold you back. And for the Nets, you know, it just wasn't enough out there. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, 
The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. But moving, I guess, on to some of the player recaps, starting with Kyrie Irving. As I mentioned, 39 points, 14 of 31 from the field, 5 of 14 from three, 6 of 6 from the free throw line, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 steals, 4 blocks, 3 turnovers. You know, this was uh, almost a Kobe game for uh, Kyrie in a sense of, you know, didn't shoot well. Kept staying aggressive, was able to get hot in that fourth quarter and help the Nets make a run and take the lead for a little bit and, and send this one to overtime. I think also you love his effort and energy. You know, gra- you know, grabbing three steals and four blocks. You know, for Kyrie Irving, that's huge. I think you can see the intensity in which he's playing with and the leadership he has this season is different than what we've seen in the past. And credit him for taking that next step in his game. And I think. Over the course of the first five games of the season, I think you could say Kyrie Irving's been the best net on this team. You know, Kevin Durant obviously has put up great numbers as well, but there's just an intangible factor, I think, for Kyrie in trying to uplift his teammates. And even some of that's coming on the court, off the court, or in press conferences with some of the comments he had, you know, trying to give positivity to Ben Simmons. So very happy with the play of Kyrie Irving on both ends of the floor to start the season. Moving over to Kevin Durant, another big scoring game, 37 points, 12 of 21 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3, 11 of 11 from the free throw line, 3 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals, 1 block, 3 turnovers. A very efficient game from KD. You know, my only complaint in this one is obviously a couple missed baskets in the clutch, including a a 3 that would have put the Nets up by 1 late in this game, and also, you know, some missed shots at the elbow, 1 potentially... He was fouled on the arm, but KD just had stretches in this game where he wasn't necessarily great, and he was kind of creating some of that stagnant offense, you know, be it with turnovers or just kind of holding onto the ball. Again, some of that's on him, but also some of that's on the lineups that were put out there with Kevin Durant and kind of forced him in, you know, situations that did not create any type of advantage, put him at a disadvantage. As I mentioned before, all five defenders really look at him. So there's been a level of struggle, I think, at times – he is he's hurt by you know the ability of the defense able to you know target him or focus on him especially when Kyrie is not on the floor because of the lack of non-shooters and and KD not necessarily being you know he's not the ball handler that uh, Kyrie Irving is you know when you send a double at Kyrie he's able to sometimes break that slither through it and he almost enjoys being blitzed a little bit where Kevin Durant I think he's more effective as a passer when there's 
at least average spacing on the floor. And as I put out, you know, in some of my tweets tonight, this is probably some of the worst space lineups you'll see in the NBA this season played by the Nets. L- literal four non-shooters, you know, be it Nick Claxton, Ben Simmons, Edmund Sumner, and David Duke Jr. with Kevin Durant. That's just a lot of pressure to put on your superstar player. But uh, talking about Utah Watanabe, we saw him finally get some major burn this season. He played about 23 minutes, two or three from the field, two or two from the three-point line, four rebounds, two assists, one block, did have five fouls, finished with six points. Utah, I thought, was a plus in this game, and you're starting to see what his capabilities are as a role player. You know, his ability to have that length, his his switchability defensively, the effort and energy he plays with, and knocking down two threes for him is his big. You know, if he can shoot around that 35, 36% mark from three, he just becomes a, a lot more usable option in this rotation. And he's he's playing better than a lot of the guys that were getting minutes before him. So credit him for taking advantage of the opportunity. Hopefully he's intertwined into the rotation moving forward. Talking Ben Simmons, uh, seven points for Ben, finished three of seven from the field, one of one from the free throw line, eight rebounds, four assists, three steals, one turnover, did have four fouls, but this game felt like progress for Ben. You know, you saw some uh, aggressive play for him. You know, there was even stretch in this game where he was just kind of getting downhill, getting in the paint and setting up, you know, three-point attempts. The problem was, you know, the guys attempting those threes either were hesitant to shoot or just not great three-point shooters. So you can see progress in his game. I love the fact that they started this one and try to get him to post up on Spencer Dinwiddie early on, something I think they should incorporate more, especially if teams are going to throw a guard on Ben. You know, let him try to get to work, get some easy baskets. And also, he's a great passer out of the post. You know, we saw, I think, in the game against... Uh, Milwaukee or, or potentially Memphis, you saw him hit, you know, Kyrie on a great backdoor cut. You know, I, I think putting Ben in the post forces him to be defended, which is huge. And he's creating a level of gravity, which can allow some of the actions off ball for Kyrie and KD to be a little bit easier because if he's just attempting a couple hook shots or layups or floaters in the game, he becomes a threat in the paint. And I think he did a better job tonight of becoming a threat. Even when he's rolling, cutting, diving to the rim, he did it with much more intent where there was a belief from the opposing team he's going to try to attack the rim. He's going to try to score. And I thought that was a real positive for him. And obviously the huge defensive play from him late in this game. You know, the the, the Nets are down two. Lucas trying to hold the ball. And Ben gets a steal. Sets up KD for the easy dunk. I mean, that that's just a huge play. And I think that's a confidence builder. I was also probably a little upset that Ben wasn't given the opportunity to guard, you know, Luca one-on-one in that overtime period and they went with Royce O'Neal given Ben just had some success and had some success later in the game he wasn't perfect he's not 100% healthy but you have this guy in your team for that exact reason and if you're not going to utilize him it you know makes his weaknesses more more of an issue for this team and again he's not 100% healthy but there was progress made for Ben and moving forward we expect him to continue to be a little bit better every single game moving on to Royce O'Neal uh, 10 points for him, 4 of 11 from the field, 2 of 8 from 3, 7 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 steal, 2 turnovers. Royce didn't have a bad game. It's just with Seth Curry and Joe Harris and TJ Warren being out, and even you know Markeith Morris to an extent being out, you need more offensive production from Royce, especially from that three-point line, because it's not only that he's you know not hitting those threes and teams are living with it, he's not really creating that level of gravity that you're getting from playing with a Seth Curry or a Joe Harris. And to an extent, that's not what you expect, but you're expecting a little bit more attention going his way. And until he starts knocking down those threes, teams are going to be more than happy to show more pressure to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So 
that's going to be a swing factor, an X factor for the Nets is Royce O'Neal's three-point shooting because you know none of his attempts were contested. None of his attempts were hard from three. A lot of them were completely wide open. And he was unable to knock them down. I think defensively, his communication with some of his newer teammates isn't perfect. You know, it's always hard to know watching the game if that's on Royce, if that's on Utah, if that's on Ben or Kyrie, wherever it is. You know, those kind of things you'll see kind of get straightened out hopefully as the season progresses. But right now, Royce O'Neal is is doing what's expected, you know, going to the season. But given the situation, who's out, the Nets could use a little bit more consistent offensive production for him. But it hasn't been that case for his entire career. So you can't really, you know, depend on the guy to do that. Nick Claxton finished with seven points in this one, three of seven from the field, all of one from three, one of four from the free throw line, six rebounds, one assist. You know, Clax wasn't super impactful. You could say this was his worst game of the season. I thought he would have a bigger performance going against a smaller team like the Mavericks. You know, maybe more activity on the offensive boards only came down with three. Defensive boards only came down with three. I thought his attacks on the rim could have been probably a little bit better in some of those situations, but also he wasn't getting the same opportunities and the same feeds that he was getting in those other games. And he's going to be a component of, you know, congested floor having an impact on him. But with Steve Nash, you know, trying to stagger, you know, Ben and Clax a little bit more, I think both guys will be more successful and more productive moving forward. Touching on David Duke, he got a lot of burn in this game. Uh, 21 minutes, finished with 10 points, four or six on the field, two or two from the free throw line, and five rebounds and one assist. You know, David Duke Jr. brings great energy when he plays. He just has a knack for getting those loose balls and, you know, getting those second chance points for the team. And defensively, I thought he did a, he did a solid job in this one. But overall, you know, he's a guy that you you look to play because you have a couple guys out and it's a second night of a back-to-back. You know, you love the energy in spurts, but 21 minutes is is tough for the guy. I think he had, you know, good stretches, but there was also ob- obvious stretches of why he's a two-way player and the biggest factor, his lack of three-point shot. Going on to Patty Mills, another tough game, I think, for Patty defensively. You know, finished with three points, one of three from the field, one of two from three, two rebounds, one assist, and one turnover. Patty if he's not scorching from three or able to, you know, find a lot of open looks working off ball, it's tough to play him because he's so bad defensively right now. And early in this game, you saw the Nets kind of allow Luca to to match up hunt. You know, they were soft switching, gave him the matchup on Patty, and it was just bucket after bucket after bucket for the Mavs. And it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough for him this season with this with this uh, style of play and especially going small all the time. He's only really going to be capable of playing in spurts and against certain rotations and lineups. You know, in this game, when Luka was not on the floor, Patty was was a lot better. And for obvious reason, you know, there wasn't a guy that was necessarily targeting him. Or if, you know, it's Spencer Dinwiddie, it's not quite the same as Luka going at you as superstar compared to, you know, maybe a fringe all-star level player. So Patty is going to be a guy when Seth comes back, hopefully he's just not seeing as much burn. You know, he's just going to kind of fade probably out of the rotation. Edmund Sumner tonight uh, finished with six points, 0 of 4 from the field, 0 of 2 from 3, 6 of 6 on the free throw line, 3 rebounds, 1 steal. Sumner gives you some pop. You know, he's excellent in transition and attacking, getting to the free throw line, and defensively, I think he's solid. It's just after that, there's not necessarily a ton that he's doing. You know, he can take a kick out and dribble to the rim, and sometimes he's going to score. Occasionally, he'll make a good pass, or he might turn it over. I think, you know, he's still kind of working his way back from that torn Achilles. So we'll see how he progresses. But one thing I can say confidently is, you know, lineups with him and uh, David Duke Jr. just 
aren't very effective because both guys just aren't necessarily super skilled and not great NBA shooters, and they just congest the paint a little bit more, and they their skill sets overlap to an extent for both guys. And obviously that's somewhat vague for both of them, but at the same time, I think most of you understand what I'm saying in regards to how their skill sets overlap. But overall, there was progress, and you saw flashes and probably more consistent flashes in this game of how and why the Nets can be a great team and how important it'll be when Seth Curry and Joe Harris get back. I think it's it's very underrated how important those two guys are for this team, not only because you know they're excellent three-point shooters, but they provide a level of gravity off the ball that's really needed for this offense. They also just have great basketball IQs when it comes to off-ball movement and finding spaces to be effective and spaces to be effective when, you know, a superstar is being double teamed. And now, like I've mentioned on the previous show, Joe has a ton of experience with Kyrie and KD. Seth was able to get some at the end of last season, has done a, a ton of playing time with Ben. I think you can look at some of these lineups and see how much better the Nets can be offensively. And sure, there might be some minor drop off defensively with these guys playing. But at the end of the day, the defense has already been bad. So that's that's going to be more of a, a scheme and team and rotation and help thing than it's going to be individual defenders because there's probably just not enough elite talent to cover up every single flaw on this team. Or or it's even just about finding more balanced lineups. You know, tonight we saw some defensive high energy lineups that didn't have very much offense. You know, in other nights we've seen high offensive lineups with almost no defense. So finding that balance when these guys get back. And then, you know, when Markeith Morris gets back in the mix too, which looks like Steve Nash said after the game, Joe and Markeith should be back for Saturday's game. That'll add another player, another guy that kind of fits this forward wingy mold that can play some small ball five and give you another three-point shooter. I mean, Markeith Morris is a better three-point shooter than David Duke Jr., uh, Edmund Sumner, obviously Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons. So even though he's not great, he can at least provide a semblance of spacing on the floor, which which will be important for this team because they, they do run sets and the offense is improved, but there's always going to be ISO possessions when you have Kyrie and Katie, and those ISO possessions look so much worse when the floor is congested. So I'm really looking forward to those guys coming back and really excited to see TJ Warren at some point down the line. But as always, I appreciate everybody listening to the show and make sure you check the buzz on all stream platforms. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.